this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Farbad Sharaka. Farbad is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Bloom Nation. You know, perhaps you're already familiar with it because earlier, uh, you know, several episodes ago, uh, last year, we interviewed Greg Weistein, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Blue uh, Nation. You know, definitely happy uh, to have Farbad on. Farbad, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited. For sure. You know, you know, you know. Um, before you know, we we went into Greg's story and how he got started. But you know, I'm definitely interested in hearing your story. Let's go back in time. You know, far by you know, you know, did you come from humble beginnings? You know, was was both of your parents in your life? You know, uh, you know, you know, did you did, did you kind of just have your mom raising you? You know, let's talk about the beginnings and and, and how and how you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, I was actually. Uh, born in Tehran, uh, in Iran, and we left. Uh, I was probably two years old, so at a very young age, we we came over to uh, America, and our first landing spot was in Los Angeles. And I've uh, ever since then grown grown up in in LA and outside of you know going to Berkeley uh, uh, for college. I've essentially been in LA all my life, I see. but. Yeah, in terms of like my, I, I probably have the most boring uh, and blessed uh, childhood in the sense that like very structured uh, upbringing. Uh, my, both my parents uh, uh, were married, then they're still married today, and very involved in my life and had a huge support system from them. So for from my standpoint, uh, it was a very uh, normal upbringing, and and um, they were very supportive. And I and the only one odd thing that I, I like to mention is like from my mo- mom's end, it was all just like about love and, and health and all the soft stuff. And then uh-huh. from my dad's side, it was just business and work and education and like the, all the business stuff. So I think I ended up in the middle because uh, both sides uh, kind of came at me from, from one end and the other. And I ended up somehow in the middle where I appreciate the, the, the creativity and the love and the artistic side of, of even today in business, while I still understand all the fundamentals and, and structure around being successful and, and education and all that. Interesting. And, and, and it's still common, you know, uh, you know, people, as you, as you stated, having a very structured childhood and, and, and some people are fortunate, you know, a person like yourself, very fortunate and blessed to, to come for that background. And we also interviewed uh, a lot of uh, people, uh, on a show, uh, and where they, you know, their childhoods was more challenging. You know, I, you yeah. know, I, I came from a challenging childhood as well, uh, but at the same time, still turn out to be uh, high performers, great people, innovators, and disruptors that are very uh, noteworthy uh, in the entrepreneurial world. The moment you graduated from high school, for a bud, you know, I definitely say your mother was very kind of kind of health and love oriented. Your father was more like, I guess, business, kind of more like education. The moment mm-hmm. you graduated from high school, did your parents force you to go to college? 
uh, or you know, was it a personal choice? Um, you know, for me, like they never pressured me to do anything. Like even in school, it wasn't, uh, I didn't get a sense of you need to get great grades because you need to go to the best college because you need to, you know, right out of high school, you need to go to university. I don't know if it was just ingrained in my, myself or it was just the aura that I got from my parents, but it was never explicit. They never gave me this explicit set of rules. It was more, and I look kind of compare it to what we do here at Bloom Nation, but it was more of the culture of the family. It was like just a part of the way we spoke and how, how we celebrated uh, education and how we celebrated success uh, through uh, other family members that I kind of understood that it was important, but they never explicitly told me. Okay, great, great. And you went to the University of California uh, to study uh, economics. Is that when you met Greg and David? So I met David at uh, University of California, Berkeley. Uh, we attended there at the same time. He was actually a year ahead of me, but we ended up having some mutual friends and, and uh, getting to know each other right before he graduated and went back to L.A. So he was also he also grew up in L.A. I see. Uh, Greg, I knew actually through my cousin, who I obviously I grew up with my cousin at a young age. We were best friends, very similar in age, and he in college. Great. And for people who are tuning in and who who, who are hurting or hearing about Bloom Nation for the first time, you know, uh, uh, you know, and, and obviously you can definitely explain it significantly better than I can. I uh, gave you a short plug in the beginning about how it's a, it's a great option, an innovative, better option as opposed to kind of a dying uh, kind of. Uh, uh, extinct or uh, ancient one eight hundred flowers. But what? It, but if if you can explain again for our audience, what is Bloom Nation? So Bloom Nation uh, is a marketplace similar to Etsy or Amazon or eBay mm-hmm. um, that connects the flower purchaser to some of the top floral designers in the country. So what you're really getting an opportunity is to be able to search locally for a flower shop and find the real designs that are created by these flower uh, flower shops and then be able to send that gift locally, something that's handcrafted and locally delivered to your recipient. And the way that contrasts from how it was done before is that companies like 1-800-Flowers, FTD and Pro Flowers and whatnot are typically sending the flowers in a box. So you're not getting the artistic design behind the arrangement. It's sort of like a commodity. You're buying 12 roses. Mm-hmm. With Bloom Nation, you're tapping into the art. You're tapping into the thoughtfulness, and you're tapping into the creativity mm-hmm. that expresses the emotion that you want to convey. If you think about it, when you send flowers, is usually a very important time of your life. It's Whether it's happiness, sadness, For love, sure. there's an emotion that's, that's triggering this act. And so it's really important that you convey your emotion accurately. And so, you know, what we think about, you know, when you're sending flowers in a box or you're going through a broker like 1-800-Flowers is that typically those emotions get distorted by all the middlemen involved and all the, all the economics of, you know, how much money is being sent to the local florist and what products are being viewed. So ours is the most pure way to what you're looking at on the site to what's being delivered to make sure that emotion is... Uh, correctly portrayed for sure for sure and um 
you know, it's so amazing. I was, I was looking at the website and just and just seeing uh, the flowers and even like, I mean, I, I y- y- y'all more floor experts than I am. You know, flowers like I guess your favorite is the Casablanca lily. I don't even know what that is, yeah. but it sounds, <laughs> it sounds fancy though. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's very fancy uh, indeed, yeah. and uh, and definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely. Um, you know your your startup. You know has been uh, making headways. How, how old is Boom Nation now? So we're going to be entering our fifth year. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and definitely growing. You have a, a nationwide presence, and you know definitely talk to Greg about uh, his beginnings and kind of how uh, he met you. And now let's talk. Uh, let's talk about kind of the beginning stages of Bloom Nation. You know what was it like? Because every person who are considering starting a business, their startup, you know, a lot of people who have never known where, you know, you know, was there any anxieties? Uh, did you have uh, big wins in the beginning? Let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to talk generally about like, you know, taking that jump into starting a business, you're right. It is the most difficult thing is to actually make that decision that you're going to start the business and, and take the first step. And so for us, uh, it was, a lot easier and I go back to like my upbringing and my my family because I had and I think there's two ways around this but for me I had the support of my family to say like if you fall we'll be there to catch you Mm -hmm. so I felt like I had a safety net behind me which allowed me to feel more comfortable with taking that jump start with a free audiobook go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Now, on the flip side, there are people that don't have that safety net. And I would say the, the push should be different. It should be because you have nothing to lose or because, you know, you don't have the safety net doesn't mean you can't take that risk. It's just your risk. The way you take the risk is a different mentality. So for me, it was like, I have, I'm, I'll be okay if everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't have the safety net, the, only, the, the, the drive should be like, I need to do this to make it for myself. Like I need to take this jump. Otherwise I'm going to be living a life that I don't want to live. Yeah. So it's not that I had a life that I necessarily didn't love or enjoy, but I felt like it was a way for me to to elevate and, and solve. I, my passion was always to solve problems, and I learned that and through my economics degree at Berkeley. It was a, a lot of economics is around like how do you optimize things and how do you fix like macroeconomic you know things that are happening in the world through through your actions. So for me, it was just the passion to solve problems. Um, but, um, the first step for me was, um, putting in that notice to quit my job. So I had a very cushy job. I was doing investment banking, uh, doing mergers and acquisition advisory. So I was making a lot of, you know, a lot of money, uh, in, in relative to the average income in, in America and, uh, having a good time working, but it just didn't feel like I was solving any problems. I didn't feel like I was adding value to the society or to the world. And so it was, it, it was a moment in which I decided like, do I go back to get my MBA? Um, or do I try to take this, this leap and build something on my own? And, um, 
I ended up uh, doing the latter because I, I decided that I was at the time 28 years old. I didn't have a wife or kids or mortgage or anything like that. This is the, I felt in my heart, like that was the moment, like I could do it without a lot of risk. And so that's what I decided to do. And great. Do you, th- and that kind of leads into this question. Do you think your economics degree has made you a better entrepreneur? And if so, why? So I, this is what I tell a lot of people. It's not that uh, college or university is going to teach you exactly what you need to do when you start a business or whatever career you're in. Mm-hmm. It's more that it trains you to learn fast, to be disciplined, to work hard, to, to understand what you need to prioritize. It's, those are the things that you learn at school. So economics degree for me was more about um, the training of how to think. And so I became a problem solver through my, through my degree. And I think regardless of what education you get and what degree you get, it's the takeaway should be that you learn how to solve problems and how to be, it's like a training camp for anything you do in your, in your uh, future life. But you shouldn't expect to take the specific knowledge that you gain from uh, university and then translate it into your career. I think that's what sometimes a lot of, I hear a lot of young people Oh, say, oh, when, when am I ever going to use this? Mm-hmm. It's not about you using what you're learning. It's about learning how to learn and mm-hmm. learning how to attack problems. That's mm-hmm. what you're getting out of it. For sure, for sure. And, you know, for the people who perhaps they can't afford uh, to go to college, I mean, you know, you know there's, there's an ever-increasing, there's ever-increasing, ever <laughs> tongue-tied, uh, mm-hmm. it's ever-increasing uh, tuition rates nowadays. You know, it's, it's going up year after year, and financial aid packages are getting smaller. And unfortunately, uh, it, it has been, like, I was talking to uh, recently a Warren, a Warren School business professor, and we were just talking about how really it's like the, 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 the qual the standard of the the standard of education has risen, but the career opportunities have shrunk. You know, so it's, it's so so it seems to be that you know obviously now a bachelor's degree is I mean in your case, uh, you know it has helped you and and a lot of specialized degrees it can be very helpful. You know, but if a person is studying a non specialized degree, uh you know, sometimes uh, it could hurt them, you know, especially if they're accruing tens upon tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. Uh, that can definitely, uh, you know, present a problem. You know, so yeah. I think, you know, I, I you know, since, since people do not have that option, uh, unfortunately, uh, there are still other options. You know, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, for the past few years, these MOOC courses have been gaining ground, the massive open online courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a lot of universities all across the nation are offering uh, free courses uh, to the public for people to study. Now, you don't get credit for it, but you do get the exact education as if you would be in the classroom. And also, we also talked about how there are some pros and cons of actually being in a physical classroom or actually studying on campus as opposed to, you know, uh, taking uh, an online course. If I'm correct, you studied on campus, correct? Yeah, I actually, I moved to San Francisco and then attended uh, university uh, on campus. Great, great. Yeah. And so, you know, it, everyone has a different path. But I like what you said, learning 
to learn. I think that's very important, um, especially nowadays, you know, in this in this era. You know, uh, I'm a millennial, but uh, really, I think the, the new generation is coming upon us with the, the Generation Zers. And uh, often they get, you know, I, I like to call digitally distracted. You know, oftentimes it's, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and all these websites. And, uh, you know, there's more content than ever and it's more easily accessible you know but you know if 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 we are you know or if, if this new generation is going to spend more time on the internet you know how about we use the opportunity to educate ourselves to invest in our professional development uh, so that way if if college is not an option for that particular person they can still get college education from these resources uh like MOOC you know do you would you say that's a good alternative or perhaps maybe something else you have in mind if a person can't afford that hefty price tag from a, a university like that? No, absolutely. I think we have to, and I, I, this is already happening, but I think the idea of uh, structured education is kind of uh, coming into question. And the reality is that uh, if you have the passion to learn, now that uh, uh, data is so uh, freely available, and this is across board, this is, you know, forget education, but like mm-hmm. in all facets of society now, like information is flowing freely. So whether it's stock information that, you know, you, you, before you had to pay a, a professional fee or have a special service to have, you know, real-time prices, mm-hmm. now that stuff is easily available. You can see exactly what stocks are trading for instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Same thing with education. It used to be where you had to go to a really big university and, and, and pay a lot of money. And now you can learn basically anything you want online. Mm-hmm. Um, and before you had to, if you wanted to be a, a, a new uh, music artist, you had to go through the proper channels. Well, now you can upload that stuff to SoundCloud. And if you wanted to be an actor, you had to go through the proper channels, but now you can you know, be a YouTube star. So it's just now that information, the internet has opened up the world of like how people absorb and dis- dispense information. So, indeed, when it comes when it comes to to education, I feel there's no difference. And if you are some that wa- someone that wants to learn a particular skill set or trait, the the world uh, of the of the online education is a the most effective way to do that. And y- y- do you lose some of the um, nostalgic things of going to a university, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I think the world's already changed, and you know now uh, friends are no longer uh, seeing each other in person as often. They're more you know texting each other. So there's things that are already changing, and education is just one of those things as well. So I, I think it's a great choice, and I and I think the the there's no major negative aspects of doing that today and i think it'll only get even more um, uh, this this path will go down further as as uh new generations come about for sure want the full episode you can get it when you become a premium radio subscriber go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your subscription today what do you get you get things like early access to the episodes commercial-free one-hour episodes, mastermind calls with our guests, freebies from our guests, as well as much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for it's another way for you to start reaching your finish line. You definitely brought up a good point about the ease of entering uh, industries, uh, how it's, you know, you know, before 
person wanted a TV person who wanted a TV show, they had to really go to the the TV station and maybe you know get a professional pilot episode done to pitch to pitch them. Uh, but nowadays, you know, with YouTube, it's just easier to have. you create a YouTube channel and uh, you know definitely you can you can uh, you have the potential to get up to a million subscribers. Uh, you know, you know, th- th- I mean, it's great because. I mean that applies to anything. It's the same thing with writing a book. You know, uh, you know, you know. Before traditional publishers were the gatekeepers. Nowadays, people can self-publish. I mean, you you, you could take that idea into uh, any direction. Hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, back to what I was. But yeah, but but nowadays, uh, before I mean, before uh, it was it competition wasn't as fierce, but it was harder to get in those industries. You know, so for example, if we can use the TV stations or the traditional publishers as an example, uh, you know, there, you know, twenty, thirty years ago, or let's see, how old am I? Okay, yeah, <laughs> thirty years ago, you know, uh, thirty years ago, there wasn't that many authors. Okay, thirty years ago, there were that many uh, TV hosts, whether it's on internet TV or whether it's on cable TV. You know, you know, you know, the the, the amount of competition was significantly smaller. You know, uh, because they were the gatekeepers, which which was good and bad. You know, for people who really wanted to get into the industry, it was harder for them to get in. But the people who were in, they often benefited better because uh, obviously, when it comes to traditional publishers, they was investing more money in those book projects. When it comes to the TV stations, they was investing more money into advertising. Uh, but nowadays, it's the kind of flip side. It's easier to get in the markets, uh, the industries, but at the same time, it's harder to stand out. Because now on YouTube, you know, everyone wants to have their own YouTube channel and be an internet TV host and you got this YouTube streaming and all that. And everyone wants to try to get, you know, the collective attention, which is hard because everyone, I mean, I don't know how many YouTube accounts they have nowadays. Uh, It's the same thing thing with books. You know, know, nowadays, uh, if anyone spends, you know, some time, they can self-publish their book and put it on Amazon and Kobo and all of that. And same thing, you know, know, it's easier for them to publish a book but at the same time there's so many other people doing it now and it's hard to get the attention of the customer you know so, so, yeah. but before a customer had two options or, or um, that's probably now right before a customer probably had 10 options now they have literally 100 options you know so uh you know so that's a very good point that you know you've made you know kind of going to my experience you know you know when i was younger you know, I, I definitely tell you when i was much younger i wanted to be a basketball player or in, or in a rapper, you know, that's kind of like almost every minority's dream, especially when you're like 12 years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but as I grew up, you know, that changed. Um, and, uh, you know, I really desired radio. I really desired a thing for radio. And I said, man, I want to, you know, I want to get into radio. And uh, when I was 17, 18, uh, it was kind of the background. I was, always, I was always fascinated. I was always interested. But as I went through, once I went to Penn State, I got more interested into it. But Every person I've talked to who have worked in the industry and somewhat, they've always, you know, you know, it, you know, it, 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 it wasn't like, oh, it's easy. You can just do this, do that, and you're in. You know, it was always like it was still the gatekeepers. It wasn't as, it wasn't as difficult, but it was still difficult. But uh, right. I think at the time, by the time I graduated from college, uh, which was 2008, that's when the podcast would start jumping. You know, that's when the podcast was born. That's when the, everyone started having a podcast. And, you know, and, and um, you know, I wasn't that interested into it because for me, it was like there was nothing more than having an, a, a radio show on an FM station for people to hear across the world. And, um, and I started off as a podcast. And then 
uh, eventually, uh, you know, being diligent, you know, it was easier for me to get uh, on, uh, you know, rail stations across the U.S., which, which, uh, which, which, which gives me an opportunity uh, to now reach a wider audience. So, you know, that was a good point. I was kind of a, I kind of, I kind of took a long way around the block, but uh, but that was a good point. Just, just to highlight how now it's easier than ever to do what you want to do. You know, there's literally no excuse. You know. Yeah. I mean, and the barrier, so the it's funny because these are two economic concepts, but like the barrier of entry has uh, lowered, meaning it's now definitely easier to enter the market. Uh-huh. But that just brings a whole new challenge because it's not easier to succeed. It's just a different way of succeeding. So uh-huh. it's easier to get in. But like you mentioned, it's harder to stand out. And uh-huh. so what happens when there's a low barrier of entry in any sort of uh, facet, it makes it harder for you to stand out because the product becomes or the service or the person or whatever it is becomes more commoditized Mm -hmm. and so this is you know a supply and demand that turns into more of a supply and demand so if there's a flood of supply all of a sudden now there's tons of more youtube stars and and instagrammers and all Mm -hmm. these things that it makes it harder to catch capture that demand you have to work harder for that demand Mm -hmm. whereas before the supply was limited meaning it was harder to become a supplier of that whether it's you know uh, TV, radio, or, or business, whatever it may be, but once you made it as a supplier, then the demand was focused on you. Indeed, so indeed. This is just—it's not to say—and I think that's a misconception by a lot of people saying how it's become easier. Yes, it has become easier to begin, but the success factor is still as complicated and difficult, and still requires just as much hard work and effort and sweat to win, not to just enter. For by if people want to get in contact with you or follow you, how would they do that? So they can, I just actually recently set up a Twitter account and I have my Instagram, it's at Chirac. So it's at and an S-H-O-R-O-C-K. Mm-hmm. And I can also, I'm happy to share my email, just farboat at bloomnation.com. For sure. Farbai, thanks for being our guest. Thank you so much. This is a great, a lot of fun. Thank you. For listening, just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist, has seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.